Okay, we're ready for the homeward push. So come on back and find a seat. I'll get us going here. We're going to talk about what we should do. Come find a seat. Okay, our last session, we're going to keep her moving. So let's ask the question, the what should we do question. That's where we went. So we've got all this information. What do we do? Uh, I'm going to recommend that I turn my clicker on and then hit the button. Okay. Screen limit. No one likes to hear those words. But I'm going to encourage parents not only to limit your children, but to limit yourself. This will be hard. You will have to change. Samuel James writes in his book, Digital Liturgies, pixels are not created in God's image. People are. It is a holy thing to be with another human being. That's something never to forget. So, if you asked me what I would encourage, and you are free to disagree with me, this is only my opinion. There is no thus saith the Lord on this particular thing I'm going to share. But if you ask me, I would try to find a way to limit screens in a very significant way. And I mean specifically the individualized screens. There is a place for communal screens, all right? So just don't mishear me on this. Uh, in fact, um, one of the things we love to do with our communal screen in our house, I have a couple of video series that we really like that are sciency in nature. One is called Long Story Short, and one is called Science Uprising. Uh, and uh, these really address sort of the intelligent design question or abiogenesis, that question. Um, and they're some marvelous, and they're witty, they're funny, they're brilliant. Uh, so we, we enjoy uh, several series on that. We have, um, we have a government series, which is, which is just a secular one, but it's a good one on, uh, what's that one called? Uh, the government one we watch. I'm forgetting the name of it. Crash Course, yeah, yeah. So again, it's, that's not necessarily Christian, but it, it's useful as so we watch our Crash Course. Um, we have a variety of other uh, videos we like to watch as a family, but we're doing it communally. Okay, so I'm not saying no screens in your house. I'm saying be very intentional. If you're going to do that, do it together. All right? If you would ask me, I would say avoid social media. Not forever. I'm not saying there's not a place for it. But I, I, if you're going to have social media, have it as a family account. So if you're going to check social media, it's a family thing. In other words, we're not going to go off to our corners of the house and be scrolling on social media. We're not doing that. Uh, I... We, we have no online gaming in our house. What do you do? We play family games together. That's what we do. And do you know what? You will be, um, now I will tell you if, you, if you do what I tell you, if you take my advice, you are going to be bored for a while. You are, because you have trained your brain to need constant stimulation. And this is the thing you fear most is boredom. Part of that's a problem of an affluent culture. We're so affluent that we have the opportunity to get bored. 
Now, there are cures for this, uh, and, and, but it's going to take trusting being free from these screens for a period of time before your brain comes out of the mist, out of the fog, and you're able to have your own thought. So if you try this, you will be bored for a while. It will happen. And then one day, you'll have a thought. <laughs> on your own. And you'll say, I have an idea. And then you're going to get up and go try to bring that idea into three dimensions. And you'll start creating. Or you'll start volunteering. Or you'll say, why don't we play Scrabble? Or why don't we play, and I'll talk about games later. Why don't we play this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we go visit our neighbor? Why don't we do something for another person? Why don't I just read a book and learn something? But you're going to have to endure the period of boredom and trust you'll come out on the other side. Okay? Like I said before, no phones or tablets in the bedrooms. None. Uh, you decide what battles you want to fight. My encouragement is this, this one's worth fighting for. Focus on the unpixelated three-dimensional life. Okay, think 3D, right, 3D. Uh, I also would highly recommend this book, James Clear. This is not a Christian book, uh, but it's certainly an insightful book into human nature. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits. I'm gonna share just a few quotes from him, from his book. I've learned a lot about, he, he echoes what scripture teaches about human nature, but just about habits, and this is very applicable to the spiritual disciplines in our life too. He says, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. You get what you repeat. He continues, if you want to predict where you will end up in life, all you have to do is follow the curve of tiny gains or tiny losses and see how your daily choices will compound 10 or 20 years down the line. If you can imagine being a pilot, and if you're gonna set your trajectory, your course, and if you alter it only by one or two percent, from here, that's not very much, is it? Now, I'm smart enough not to take off walking right now to illustrate. <laughs> but if you were to continue, you will see the divergence start to emerge down the road. Okay? This is how your life works. It's how your children's life works. <coughs> it's the tiny little habits that you will do every day. Okay? All right, so here's what this means. You won't like me for this, but this is what you call truth talk. You are not your intentions. You are your habits. You are what you scroll. That's not always easy to hear, is it? James Clear writes, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. So instead of focusing on our ambitious goals, we need to focus on the habits 
that we're fostering day in and day out on the simple, repeated choices we're making every day. So he says, don't focus on your goals, focus on your trajectory. Mr. Clear calls it your systems. He says, goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that will lead to those results. Okay, so this is why so many New Year's resolutions fail. It's because you set these ambitious goals and you don't achieve it by January 3rd, and so you get discouraged, okay? It's not the goal, it's the system. It's, it's the daily or the regular habit that you're going to establish and you're gonna repeat it over and over and over again. It, it's, and these are simple daily routines, things like Bible before phone or word before world, however you wanna put it, right? Uh, before social media. Uh, we're gonna take the phone, we're gonna turn it off for an hour a day, have a phone fast every evening from our phone, right? It's these sorts of things. It's the trajectory that you will set for your life. It's the five or the 10 minutes that you're gonna spend every day in scripture. Or maybe it's three days a week, okay? Maybe it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Make it achievable for you that you can actually do it. But the point is, it's your system. It's the, and, and here's my, here's, I, I don't know what else to call it. I, I, I call it process joy. That, that I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm not gonna be so fixated on the goal because if my goal is to do 50 push-ups and I can't get there tomorrow, I'm gonna be discouraged. But if my goal is to enjoy my process, I'm going to enjoy that, that the workout every day and make that my, the thing that I enjoy and stay to it. Maybe someday I get to 50, maybe not. That's not the point. It's that everyday habit that's going to, to make me healthy physically in that case, okay? So what happens is, like I mentioned, we don't reach our goals, so we quit in despair. But my thing is delight in the process, in the system, in the little daily life choices that we make. And so we get to be happy all along the way. And that just feeds us healthy, uh, godly, dis disciplined choices. Uh, parents, let me also uh, point this out to you. Uh, I had this discovery, and some of you will say, wow, it took you a long time to learn that, and that's true, I'm a slow learner. Uh, but when our oldest, went off to college a couple years ago, something dawned on me. My kids actually will grow up and leave. It doesn't happen quickly, but it does happen suddenly. And the time that you have to be shaping their souls, now you do that their whole life long, you don't ever stop being their parents, that's not what I'm saying. The time that you have to have that under your roof time, goes away one day. It ends. And that relationship will change. Now, I could talk a lot about the developmental stages and then, you know, how parenting will change and that along the way. If we have time later, I can talk about that. But my point for now is for parents, now is the time to engage in this stuff. You need to be very intentional about this. Uh, I would also recommend this book by James uh, Smith, You Are What You Love. This one is specifically Christian, and he, he is very clear about teaching that we are a liturgical creature. Like I said earlier, you will pursue what you love. Jesus said, your heart follows your treasure, because he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Pay attention to what he's saying. You need to put your treasure where you want your heart to be, and your heart will run to catch up. Let me give a brief stewardship sermon just for Pastor Clemmer. He'll appreciate this. <laughs> Tithe to your local congregation and your heart will run to catch up. <gasps> he said money. Yeah, I did. 
My wife and I have been married for 24 years. We've been tied in the whole time. We have six kids and one salary. And I have not starved to death. I have not lacked any good thing. But my heart has followed where I put my treasure. And all of my children know that as soon as they get any income, they will tithe. Do you want to transform a culture? And do you want to enable a church to do ministry? Put your money there. Tithe. Statistics say average Christians in America give it between 2 and 4%. Imagine if they gave 10. If, if the income here at Bethany were to triple this year, do you think you could do some neat ministry? They say yes. Right? Think about what you could do. Don't ever give to the budget. Give to the mission. But I'm just saying for this point, Put your treasure where you want your heart to be and your heart will run to catch up. But you are the liturgical creature. The liturgy and the worship is designed to reorder your desires on purpose to say this is good, right, true, and beautiful. Run after it. Okay? Because we actually believe these things are good, right, true, and beautiful and they will, they will enable human flourishing in a beautiful way. I mentioned these devices earlier. I'll throw these out here for you. Uh, Firewalla provides uh, um, a barrier between your internet and your, um, your, your devices. Covenant Eyes, uh, the idea there basically is another person has, gets notifications on what sites you visit. Canopy is also a filtering device which is designed to filter out uh, content you don't want. Let me say up front, there is no perfect device here. Or, or program. If your kids are determined, they will find a way around it. They will learn how to record your screen when you put your password in and then go back and do it. And there are dozens of ways. I don't want to say them all because then maybe they'll look at the idea. But they are smarter than you on this. They will outsmart you. One, they're determined. And two, they have the time. They don't get tired at 8 o'clock at night like you do. Right? These two devices are, I think, well worth mentioning, Pinwheel and Gab. These are smartphones, but they do not allow social media and these sorts of uh, sites. I think Pinwheel is a good job of uh, providing the parental portal, and the parent must approve whoever is a friend through like, the texting piece. All communication goes through parents first. And then you can customize which apps are allowed on your child's phone. There is obviously you're going to pay more for that because you're going to have the service that goes with it, but this is a specific device that is built not to allow certain uh, uh, social media sites at all. I would highly recommend you check those out if this is something. If you, I understand why we want our kids to have phones because we want to be able to connect it to them. We want to know, uh, we want to be able to communicate with them. You know, basketball practice is over, come pick me up. We, I get we all want that, okay? So I understand the desire. I would say, to check these guys out, Pinwheel and Gab, as possibilities for accomplishing what you want with keeping away what you don't. But understand, there's no foolproof system. Now, I'm gonna, now I'm going to walk in your home for a minute. So, I want you to conceptualize your living space. 
Your living space encourages and it facilitates habits. What's in the center of your living space in your home? <laughs> so and, and, uh, you can say if you want to, but I mean, most of us, most of us have a screen somewhere. I'm not, again, I talked about the communal screen. There's a place for it. But like I said, we stuck our TV up in the attic and I did this specifically because the temptation to sit down on the couch and have the hand fall directly onto the remote is so instinctual and so easy and within three seconds the TV's already on and conversation has been destroyed. I'm saying if we're going to do a, a, a viewing of a, a video or something, it needs to be intentional and there needs to be several steps in order to make that happen. So for us, in our living area, there is no screen anywhere in that living area that you can see. There's one on the floor in the, the, in the case that we have to pull out, pull up, go get the projector, set it up, go get the laptop, set it up, and move the couches so we can all... It takes a while to make that happen. It's not default. Default are the books. Default are the games. Default are the people who are there and they're going to talk to each other. That's the default. So what I'm trying to do is protect myself from my own nature. So I'm going to set it up in such a way that I'm not able to do the easy thing. It's the same reason why I don't have a dozen donuts delivered to my kitchen every day. If that was on your kitchen table every morning, how easy would it be to resist it? But if you had to drive 30 miles to get to the nearest donut shop, Probably wouldn't eat donuts very often, right? I'm not demonizing donuts, just my personal um, temptation is donuts, right? And they're always at pastor's conferences. So, um, but what I'm, what I'm asking is, is the screen supreme? You may not take your screen and put it in the attic, that's fine. But maybe you can get a wall hanging and put it in front of the TV. It's one of these say, pull down wall hangings. You can get a cabinet sliding doors that slide in front of the screen. I would have you keep your remote in a different room altogether. I would have you take the batteries out. And I'd put the batteries in a different room. I would unplug it. The goal here is not to say you can't watch it. But the goal is it takes three or four steps to get it on. Because you will default to the easy. If it takes that much work to get the TV on, you might just pick up the paper instead and read that. Okay? Or you might just say, hey, why don't you go pick out a board game, we'll play. Right? So we're trying to make sure we're intentional about not making this the default. And I, this would probably be one of, the, one of the most tangible things you can do that will really help you prioritize those three dimensions of your family. Uh, also, I would simply say the amount of time we spend in front of the TV, we're allowing it to catechize us pretty dramatically. We would never say, I am going to let Fox News catechize me for three hours a day. You would never say that, but you do it. I am going to, I am going to go to bed with the sweet whispers of Sean Hannity in my brain. <laughs> you would never say that. Or pick your favorite whatever talking head. There are, there are dozens of them, okay? But you pick yours. You would never say that, but you're defaulting to those things, okay? So be very intentional about, well, what, what do I want in my brain? 
What do I want living in that, my headspace? Whose voice do I want up there? Who is going to catechize me and my kids? Because that's what they're doing. I highly encourage you to check this out, Read Aloud Revival. Wonderful resource. This is online, but it's, it, it is a communal reading group that really encourages the reading aloud to kids. and read. We still do read alouds. My teenagers love read alouds, right? Uh, like we did the Green Ember series, uh, Biggles. Uh, Bigglesworth is a great series. It's not a Christian book, but it's a great series with um, World War I slash World War II fighting pilot adventures, and it's just wonderful, and there's no foul language, no inappropriate, you know, sexual stuff. It's just great adventure stuff. Uh, the Narnia series, the Little Britches series, the Vanderbeekers, the Little Pilgrim's Progress series, Shackleton, the Wind in the Willows. I could go on forever. And my wife has one she reads during the day. I have one I read during the night. We love our read-aloud time. It's wonderful. Read Aloud Revival does a great job also of introducing you to books to be reading aloud to your family. Even your older kids will enjoy it. You may think it's weird at first. Like, oh, that's weird. No, Everyone loves a story. After the first few minutes, they'll be hooked. Um, this uh, from Marianne Wolf in her book, Reader Come Home, says, Many young viewers all too quickly are literally and cognitively left to their own devices. Right? And I mentioned that earlier. That, that this idea they don't have the lap to sit on, they don't have the voice of their most beloved persons reading and speaking just to them. And then she says this, this is very insightful. When you speak to your children, you expose them to words that are all around them. A wonderful thing. When you read to your children, you expose them to words they never hear in other places and to sentences no one around them uses. This is not simply the vocabulary of books. It is the grammar of stories and books and the rhythm and alliteration of rhymes and limericks and lyrics that are not to be found anywhere else quite so delightfully. Okay, we all have our ways of speaking in our home. Our kids hear that. That's good. But books will introduce them to different ways of speaking, different turns of phrases, different, different quirky things that they will never encounter anywhere else. Give them that privilege. This was from the Wall Street Journal uh, back in uh, September of 2022. I know that's small, I'll simply read it to you. This was coming out of COVID. Reading aloud is perhaps the most efficient and effective way to promote cognitive development while also imparting a host of social, emotional, and cultural benefits. So earlier you asked the question about how long, I can't answer that question, but I can say the method to get you there would be this reading aloud. Read aloud. Isn't it interesting that the church gathers every week, and what do we do with the scriptures? The pastor never says, all right, for the next 10 minutes, we're all just going to read the, the scriptures that we have for today. You're going to read them quietly to yourself. That's not what happens, is it? They're being read aloud, so you can hear them. It seems like God was ahead of the curve, don't you think? Something's happening there. I also say read the Bible aloud. I mentioned this earlier. This, I'll give you, and you may have your own pattern here at, at, at Bethany, wonderful. I'll give you what works for us, and you don't need a, a PhD, you don't need a DMIN, you don't need an REB, you just need a Bible and know how to read. That's all you need. Okay, here's, here's how family devotions can look like. What, what I love about this is, this is customizable depending upon the time that you have, because not every day is the same, yes? Not every day you get home and it's like, oh, and every night we have a full hour of time for this. That's not how life works. When my kids were little, maybe. But 
as they got bigger, just more things. So this is customizable. So let's start with if I have the full time block. 45 minutes to an hour if I have that much time. Not often, if I do. We read the Bible out loud. Maybe it's only half a chapter. Maybe it's only two paragraphs. Okay, so I'm not saying you have to read for half an hour of the, the Bible. You may, that's fine. But re realistically, smaller chunks are better <laughs> for memory retention. Paragraph two, paragraphs, whole chapter, whatever. Stop. What was your one thing? 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 And sometimes that takes five minutes and sometimes that one thing turns into a 20 minute conversation. And that's okay. That's actually a good thing. We've done our one thing. We confess the Apostles' Creed together, out loud as a family. Weird, I know. But we do that. And then we share our highs and lows from the day. What was your high today? What was your low today? Everybody shares. Sometimes kids act up during this time. And sometimes dad almost loses his religion to get kids to listen, <laughs> right? It's not always pretty, right? I understand this is, don't think it's like we're all sitting there kind of like, like hovering on our couches with this like halos over us. It is not like that. There are times where I'm saying, you guys, just, just be quiet and listen to your brother or stop talking or, you know, all of it. It's not always pretty, but it's, it's the, we're going to do this, right? Everyone's going to share high and low. And sometimes they're just corny things like supper was, the, was I love, supper was my high. Okay, supper was your high. That's great. Sometimes it was a really great thing. And sometimes the low is something bad happened. So we all, we all talk about it, right? Do our highs and lows. We, have, we do our prayers. We do, we do prayers. What I discovered early on, I had all six kids pray. How to put this? Getting kids, six kids to behave that long is unrealistic. So one kid is going to pray, and then dad's going to pray. And that works like this. The assistant of the day, which is how we take turns. If you're the assistant of the day, you get to go first. No arguments. Tomorrow rotates to the next kid who's the assistant, and then the next kid who's the assistant. Because dad got really tired of trying to referee who gets to go first. Because kids, no kids ever like, can I go last, dad? No one ever asks that. They always say, I want to go first. So we just got the assistants. The assistant of the day, that's the one who prays. Then dad prays. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Do the, do the blessing, benediction. And if we have time, then we do our read aloud. And so I know, okay, I read aloud today is 10 minutes. Read aloud today is 5 minutes. Read aloud today I have 20 minutes for. So I can customize it based on time. And then at bedtime. When we finally get them pushed into the room, actually keeping them in their room for bedtime, I give each of my kids a blessing. Make the sign of the cross on their forehead. I speak a Bible verse over each of them. But I, it's the same one every night for each kid. Uh, but I've chosen one that I, for my boys and one for my daughter. If you're afraid to pick one, you can simply say this. Remember that Jesus died for your sins and rose for your life. And if you have no time to do the rest of it, you do have time to do that. Even with six kids, doing the blessing takes approximately a minute and a half. But every night you will do that. But my kids are bigger now. That doesn't matter. Start. It's so simple. And it's customizable. Some nights, I don't have time for all those things. We just pick the, pick the chunk we have time for. Don't set up a system where it's impossible for you to get it all done so now you feel like you failed. You're just going to feel guilty the whole time. Enjoy the process. I sometimes don't enjoy the process. I have to remind myself to enjoy the process. So set it up so in my ideal night, we have this much time and we can do it all. Tonight's not an ideal night. We only have this much time. So that's how much we do. And we're going to delight in that process tonight. OK? 
okay? Because the point is the habit you're going to do over and over and over again. The point is not, well, I got all seven days in a perfect hour long. No, you don't live in that world. Okay, so don't set up those, those silly goals. Family games. This is huge, okay? Sleeping Queens, Rat Attack Cat, Taco versus Burrito, which I always lose that game. Uh, Chameleon, which is a fun game, right? Uh, Life and Sorry and Rummy Cube and Mancala, Chess, Checkers, Goblet, Shut the Box, Exploding Kittens. I always lose it. I don't think I've ever won Exploding Kittens. Uh, Racco, Quirkle. I, I got to win Quirkle uh, twice in a row recently, which was fantastic. Although my seven-year-old, who's just like the happy-go-lucky, not a clue what's going on, he's the only kid I've ever seen get a double Quirkle. Just sitting there with the yellow square the whole time, not knowing that's the one he needed. And, and my son and I are like, man, if only we had the double square, we'd get a double quirkle. He's like, I have a yellow square. <laughs> You've been sitting there for how many turns? And I've never seen a double quirkle. Uh, clumsy thieves, taco, get cat, goat cheese, pizza. Make those things the easy things. Not the remote control to turn your TV on or to pull your phone out and, and isolate and fracture your family. Okay, this is radical. This is truly radical. Eat together. Let me ask you this question. Who here likes food? Okay, okay, good. I, I was hoping I get most people saying, okay, so if you take something that is pleasurable and you connect it with people, what do you tend to associate them with? Pleasure. Pleasurable activity with people just compounds and, like, and builds the pleasure. Now, I happen to know that supper conversations aren't always the most interesting conversations with kids. I often refer to them as scatological as opposed to eschatological. I would like sometimes to elevate our conversation beyond the scatological, which has to do with the excrement of animals. But children are very fixated on that sometimes. So I can appreciate what a conversation may sound like with kids. But that's why sometimes she says I come up with good questions, right? Tell me one thing about your day I don't know. Because if you just ask, well, how was your day or what did you do today? Fine, nothing, that's all you're gonna get. I, I get that. So come up with creative questions. We, we've done this multiple times with a question box. Sometimes we'll bring that out. You know, if you were a superhero, what would you be? Those sorts of things. Just so you're trying to facilitate conversation. So come up with a question box uh, and, and use that for a while, put it away, bring it back out. You, you want to engage in conversation. Connect pleasure to family. Okay, this is another crazy one. Go for family walks. Go for family walks. And because nature is actually good for the brain. It truly is. Uh, we have an entire room in our house in the basement called our nature nook. The nature nook has all kinds of feathers and skulls and bones and skins and rocks and shells and sticks and you name it, right? Just because oftentimes we'll go on our walks, it's like, oh, you have to, you have to bring back one piece of nature. All right, so now if the goal is you have to pick up one piece of nature, what are you looking for? You're looking for nature, right? Right? So um, my kids have done many archaeological digs, not officially, but archaeological digs along the side of the creek can, can yield all kinds of treasures. You know, old Pepsi bottles, uh, old ketchup bottles from the early 1900s, uh, broken pottery from, you know, it, it, at least in rural Iowa, farmers lots of times, the creek was their garbage can, you know, in the early 1900s. 
And you just go out there and start digging. You're going to find all kinds of fascinating stuff, which they brought it all home. Some of it mysteriously disappears. But these were great treasures that they've discovered in nature. So have a nature station in your house. Um, learn an instrument. I mean, you do brain scans of people who learn instruments. I mean, just, just listening to music, first of all, makes the brain light up. But learning an instrument just sets off fireworks in the brain. There are so many amazing array of com the complex of neural connections that are being made when you're learning an instrument. It just strengthens connections throughout the brain and actually facilitates uh, learning in multiple different areas of life. Um, there's this great uh, little hymn in our hymnal, When Our Music, God is Glorified. Uh, and it talks about um, discovering a new dimension in the world of sound. It's a great, great phrase. A new dimension in the world of sound. And every single one of my kids, uh, so we are crazy instrument learners. And so let's see. My oldest does um, organ and uh, French horn. The next one does trombone. Oh, next one's trumpet, sorry. This one does uh, organ and trombone. The next one does organ and piano and uh, oboe. The next one does organ and piano, and he's deciding between, he's been learning the trombone, but now he wants to try the French horn, so he's going between the French horn and the, and the trombone. And the youngest is seven. He's learning the piano for now. That's where he's being introduced to the piano. Uh, because uh, we know what learning instruments does, both you know, mentally, cognitively, but also spiritually. Uh, Luther talked about uh, the, the great value of music. Uh, has some wonderful quotes on music. Here's the thing, though. Learning an instrument is hard. It's going to take a lot of time. And you may think you don't have that time. But if you were to do a time audit and figure out where you put a lot of that time, you may be shocked. I also know this. Uh, having kids practice their instrument is going to take work for you as a parent to force them to practice when they're young. So in our house, they could get out of cleaning the kitchen if they went and did their instrument. You don't have to do dishes if you go practice your instrument. Oh, you're going to do one of them. So oftentimes, so, you know, I'd have a trombone above me, I'd have an elbow over here, I'd have a piano over there. It's a, a melodious accord or a cacophony of sound, either way. Okay, a um, couple more things, and uh, we'll wrap up with our final conversation. This is from Malcolm Mugridge. He's uh, uh, dead now, but he writes this fascinating book called Christ and the Media, several years old now. This is before, uh, uh, he died in 1990, so this is before the internet. But he has a lengthy quote that I'd like to read. Uh, he has a fascinating story, by the way, but nonetheless, uh, what he writes here is, is it's a little longer, but I want you to um, just reflect upon it. The prevailing impression I have come to have of the contemporary scene is of an ever-widening chasm between the fantasy, in terms of which the media induce us to live, and the reality of our existence as made in the image of God. As sojourners in time whose true habitat is eternity. The fantasy is all-encompassing. Awareness of reality requires the seen eye which comes to those born again in Christ. It is like coming to, after an anesthetic, the mists lift, consciousness returns. Everything in the world is more beautiful than ever it was because related to a reality beyond the world. Every thought clearer, love deeper, joy more abounding, hope more certain. Who could hesitate confronted with the choice between an old fantasy and a newly discovered reality? 
as well prefer the colored pictures of golden beaches and azure skies in the travel supplements, these travel magazines, to the sea and the sky. Mere erotic excitement to the ecstasy of love, life, so it, love, or then he says, life inside a camera, or we might add the social internet, so we would prefer, do we prefer life inside a camera, or I would add the words social internet, to life inside a universe as infinitesimal participant, participant in its creator's purposes. So he's trying to set up these choices, basically. Do you prefer the fantasy of the travel magazine or the actual beach and sky itself? Do you prefer uh, this fantasy of what he calls the camera, and I'm going to say the fantasy of the social internet, or of living as this active participant in, in the creator's purposes, all right? And he concludes, the choice is clear enough, but how can it best be presented with or without the media? What he's asking is, his basic, basic premise was, if Christ had a fourth temptation, from Satan to publicize his gospel on national TV. Would he have taken it? He's arguing that something gets changed when we disembody the Christian proclamation. It's very thoughtful. So he doesn't use this term, but the unpixelated three-dimensional life is what he's aiming after. There's something about putting the confession of Christ in those three dimensions. That's where it's meant to live. And as we said earlier, God was ahead of the curve on this one. He put it in the community, the church, the gathering of the gathered, right? So like I started with, my encouragement to you, my pleading of you, is to make the church the hub of your life. It's not because I'm trying to promote the institutional church or something. This is for you. Because I believe this is what's going to make you the happiest and most joy-filled person possible. And as a community. So, make the church the hub of your unpixelated three-dimensional life. This embodied experience is so important to living well in a three-dimensional world. Because there's nothing about his forgiveness that is virtual. His grace is not virtual. It's real. It's tangible. Like I mentioned earlier, you can feel the water. You can hear the word. You can taste the grace. I also want you to remember that worship is a liturgy. And you are the liturgical creatures. Worship shapes us. It catechizes us. The world is trying to shape you and catechize you. It's not just trying to give you information. It's trying to say, love these things, desire these things, want these things, pursue these things, because this is the path to the good life. This is the path to the good, the right, the true, and the beautiful. We have this strange little habit in our house. Uh, this is part of our homeschooling. We call it GRTB time. You think, that must stand for something. It does. Good, right, true, beautiful. GRTB time. And that could be any number of things. Could be a poem, could be a piece of art, could be a musical uh, arrangement, could be a short story, lots of things it could be. And so it's a little bit of a catch-all in terms of what specifically is going to be covered in that time, but it's very intentional. What we're trying to do is to say to our children, love this, desire this, pursue this, 
this is good, this is right, this is true, this is beautiful. That's actually your job as parents, is to educate desire. And guess what? God gave you a church to help you with that. And the liturgy is here to help you with that, to shape your desire, to order your loves. Uh, like I mentioned James Smith earlier in his book, You Are What You Love, uh, the liturgy restores us and re-narrates us. So my encouragement again, uh, to focus on the unpixelated three-dimensional life and make the church the hub of your life. Okay, so I'm going to put up this guy for one thing, but I also want to point out here on your back page, you should have a list of books and, and resources. Let me point out a couple things on top. ScreenStrong.com is a website with, oh man, just oodles and oodles of resources and pages and pages of documentation and data. They're doing all the legwork to, to bring you the, the data on what, what we're finding out with excessive screen usage, uh, specifically the individualized screen. Uh, they also have a podcast, uh, Screen Strong, where they bring in different speakers, uh, professionals, and talk about this, so very useful uh, resource. If you'd like to watch a video on this, The Social Dilemma is eye-opening and disturbing, especially when you have the tech execs who were the ones who created these things, not letting their kids be on social media. That's suggested, isn't it? Uh, they're interviewed on, uh, this, this is a couple years old now, uh, but certainly worth the watch. You'll simply have to Google it to find it, but it's out there, social dilemma. And uh, these are all books and so forth that uh, address the question in one way, shape, or form, whether it's talking about habits here or parenting here, uh, the, the role of uh, spiritual disciplines with James Smith, uh, Wired Ch Child is dealing with uh, technology, technology issues, Abolition of Man, Man by C.S. Lewis. It's a, thick, well, it's a thin book, but it's thick in, 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 in concept. It's really profound. Uh, but they do have annotation, annotated versions of this that would help you understand it. It's well worth the, 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 the effort. Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, iGen by Gene Twenge, uh, Screen School by uh, these gentlemen, TechWise Family and Digital Liturgies, all worth your time. Uh, so, you know, one thing I would say is don't go buy all 10 books and think, I'm going to read them all this weekend. You won't. And you'll be discouraged. Just pick one. Start there. Just, just your goal today is take one. Don't try to do 10 things. It's not how habits work. You gotta do one thing. Do it for three months, then do one more. You simply add on. So don't, don't go away today and like, we're gonna change everything in our family. No, you won't. <laughs> go change one thing and get good at that one thing and make that your habit and then change one more thing three months later. Okay, stick this someplace where you'll remember it. Three months later, we're gonna do that thing. And, and get good at those habits and build on it. Okay, someone give me one thing or a question. Please, I see a hand. If we want our kids to change, we have to change. You're exactly right. Don't say to your kids, do what I say, not what I do. They will do what you do. They will. Yes, please. Yes. Yes. Right, right. 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 So she's asking about Snapchat and uh, like group uh, texting and so forth. Uh, yes, I didn't mention Snapchat, but it, that definitely applies here. And let me let me come at it this way. 
one about the group, group texting. My concern is this. We would never say, I'm going to allow any group that my child wants to communicate with to have full access to my child at any time. I, I don't even know who it is at all. It doesn't matter to me. That's fine. But that's what's happening with this. So I would be, I'm, I'm, I'd be concerned about that. You know, that while texting per se is not a social media site in the same way, it is access to your child. And a lot of bullying happens that way. Um, just a lot of, <laughs> like you would never have your kid off in a corner talking to a bunch of people you don't know and be like, I'm sure it's fine. They can talk, you know, that's fine. I, people don't know, I don't know those people. They can talk to my kids all they want to. So just think through it that way. These are real people who have access to your kids. Just be aware of that. On the Snapchat thing, um, here's my concern with Snapchat. I know it's great because the stuff all disappears. That's kind of the thing they love about it. But that's also a concern because, again, who has access to your kids? And I'm pretty sure there's an anonymous mode on Snapchat too. I'm not on, well see, I'm not on these things because I have no need for them, but I like to live in a three-dimensional world. But the anonymous thing, here would be one of my major concerns. Okay, let me put it this, this way so you can understand why. Anybody here ever heard of uh, this guy called J.R.R. Tolkien, right? If you read the books or probably watched the movies, The Lord of the Rings. But the premise is this. What would people do if they had a magic device that could make them invisible? Would they do good or evil? Think about that for a second. If we could hand out a device to make people invisible, do you think they would use that device to go around and making, um, like dropping money in people's pockets, right? So they could do it anonymously? If you could be invisible, what type of thoughts now become possible? What type of thoughts might you entertain? My guess is right now you're not happy with some of the thoughts you're having because you know human nature. This was the premise of Lord of the Rings, right? That the temptation to do evil was so great that the device itself must be destroyed. What I see, Snapchat would be one, but social media as a whole, invites the anonymity and the in, it's an invisibility cloak. Well, what are people doing with it? In my mind, it's, it's, not, it's not that it, there isn't a potential for using it for good things. It can be, you know, sending out a group chat like, hey, basketball practice has changed to half an hour later. Okay, fine. But I would say, and I, and I would encourage, you may have policies in place here at Bethany. We have, we have a social media policy for our staff at Zion. Um, as a parent, I, I want to know what adults are talking to my kids. Okay, so we have a policy that I don't individually message a kid. I mean, there may be like a one-off message, but no, no conversations are going to be had via any social media or texting or any, anything. Any, no prolonged conversation between me and one child. And by and large, we'd prefer not to have any, any large like, conversations going on that way either. But uh, for so many reasons, 
because it could go bad very quickly. And so for parents, who has access to your kids? Right? And the anonymity thing would really concern me. I don't see that as doing good things. So not that it can't be used for something maybe good, but those would be some of my concerns, just kind of off the cuff. Good. Anybody else? Oh, one thing. What time do I have, Nathaniel? I need to keep track of my time. Okay, I'm doing great. Please. You are what you scrolled. Yeah. You are what you scrolled. Did that kind of hit you? Yeah, yeah. It, it should. It should hit all of us, right? Because um, we were listening to a podcast on the way out here talking about scrolling and, and doom scrolling, right? So mindless scrolling is just kind of like on the elevator. I mean, it's really bizarre. We were, I, went, was, I was in St. Louis here a couple weeks ago um, interviewing candidates for our partner congregation, and we're sitting at the airport, right? Which, you know, you're sitting there waiting to be on the airplane. I know you need to do something, but you're looking around, and there are hundreds of people, and almost without exception, they are all, it's, it, it's like this, like they've all been like, um, hypnotized, and they're all just... They're not actually there. They, I mean, it's, talk about an effective, effective mind control device. They are completely oblivious to the entire three-dimensional world around them. Completely. And there's hundreds of them. Like, this is that's a really disturbing moment when you see that, right? Again, are cell phones evil? No, of course not. But they're not neutral. So, please, you had a question. You are what you scroll. Well, so you are what you scroll. So here's the thing. We like to think we are our ideals. I am I'm, I'm a charitable person. I'm a kind person. I'm a thoughtful person. Uh, and I volunteer and so forth. Uh, and I, I, I have good, pure thoughts. But if you are left to your own device with no one knowing what you're doing, what are you viewing? Where does, where does your attention go? That's who you are. And we, we don't like to think that way because sometimes we're just watching completely banal, just brainless stuff. And to think of ourselves as brainless is not very, like we don't say, hello, my name is Pastor Connor and I'm brainless. Like, this is not how we think of ourselves. But this is kind of this, um, well this is, uh, C.S. Lewis does this in his book, Great Divorce, which is the divorce between heaven and hell. And he has, the, the, they're getting a day trip of heaven it's, it's a you know, pretend book, okay? So, and what's happening is these angel uh, um, um, characters, these heavenly characters are basically interrogating these characters from hell and they're basically getting all of their excuses exposed, right? And this is, this is kind of what I'm trying to say to you is that you are what you scroll is this moment of complete exposure which says you like to think of yourself a certain way but your actions betray you and you expose yourself to your true nature, which is bent towards sin, in curvatus in se, right? This is what the scriptures teach. Th this is where it comes out. This is where you see the true you. And you may not like that, but that should be hopefully like a wake-up moment and you go, if that's the true me, I need to repent. I need, I need to repent and replace. That's the key to repentance, by the way. Just repenting is part of it. You gotta replace it, otherwise we'll go right back to it. So what are you going to replace? And some people have talked about needing to put something else in your hand, right? But I would say instead of the phone, something three-dimensional. Some people like to cross-stitch. Some people like to woodwork. Some people like to bake, whatever. But something three-dimensional in your hand now that you're going to direct your energies as opposed to that 
this sort of doom scrolling. Doom scrolling is a specific thing where it's like you're really into some very dark, depressing, um, very unhealthy stuff. Just it, thumb scrolling, just basically mindless stuff. So that's kind of how it gets differentiated. Okay, someone else, one thing, please. Please, I'll go to the back and I'll come to you next. Please. I am thrilled. He has a pinwheel phone real life experience. Afterwards, you can all flood over here and ask him questions about the pinwheel phone. That's fantastic. Please. Can you just go over what games are for young kids that Like family friendly games? Sure. Let me uh, get my list back in front of me because our uh, pile of games at home is huge. Okay, Sleeping Queens. Here, here's what I like about some of these games. Like Sleeping Queens, it is a game that takes maybe five or seven minutes to play. Sometimes that's what you're looking for. Like, Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly's a very rare thing to play Monopoly, because it's like a three-hour commitment, right? And it always ends in tears, because the sibling always is destroying the other. So, Monopoly's okay, but we try to avoid those sorts of games. Okay, Sleeping Queens, Rat-a-Tat Cat. Again, Rat-a-Tat Cat takes about, sometimes five, five minutes. It could take maybe seven minutes, but it's a shorter game, a card game. Uh, Taco versus Burrito. That one takes a little bit longer, 10 minutes or so. That's a fun game. Chameleon is, is more of a family. All, all ages are kind of involved in this one. Uh, it's, it's a fun little game of word association. The game of life, which is an old game, been around for a while. It, it takes a little bit, let me take half an hour, but at least it's not, it's not like Monopoly, a risk, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Sorry is a fun game, which doesn't take terribly long. Um, <laughs> Rummy Cube, which is a, a number game. Uh, Mancala is an ancient game. It's moving those little um, glass beads from hole to hole to hole. I get beat at that a lot. Chess and Checkers, I think you're familiar with that. Uh, Goblet is kind of like Checkers on steroids, where you're actually gobbling up your uh, opponent. A little, but it, what I love about the Goblet is it's a wooden game, so it's three dimensions. It's tactile, right? You're using a wooden wooden pieces, uh, which is great. Uh, and chess too. If you're going to get chess. Um, my encouragement is get like a real wooden carved, not like a thousand dollar stuff, but get a nicer one because they're interacting with a real carved wood thing or glass or like something that's really tactile that has some element of beauty and that's anything about chess is these characters are kind of beautiful in their own right, right? So to manipulate the rook who feels good, right? He's fun to move. That's the idea. You want to interact in three dimensions. Uh, shut the box as you roll the game, roll the dice to try to uh, knock down numbers and so forth. Doesn't take very long. Exploding Kittens is a bizarre little card game which my kids love, but it's, there's a lot of underpants sort of jokes in there. Okay, so if you can deal with underpants type jokes, uh, kids love it. Uh, Racco, which is just putting the numbers in order on, in your cards, doesn't take terribly long. Quirkle may take more like half an hour or so, but Quirkle is dealing with, uh, again, it's wooden, it's tactile. Uh, um, you're trying to basically uh, do patterns. It's different shape, same color, different color, same shape. That, that sort of, that sort of um, game, uh, and mixing those together on, on a floor or on the table. Uh, Blockus, which is also a mind game of putting these, basically like Tetris, but Tetris four ways in real three dimensions with opponents, so fitting pieces together. Uh, Clumsy Thieves is a, a number adding game, which is a great thing, because they're trying to basically do um, uh, adding up numbers to 100, but it's, it's fast, so it teaches math, and it's, it's fun. And Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza is all about shape recognition and quickness. So 
That's why I lose it because my kids are much faster than I am at, at that. Those would be a handful of games that we have. I've got way more on the shelf, but those would be, some of those are really quick games. That's what you're looking for sometimes. If you have a seven-year-old in your house, he doesn't want to play a 45-minute game, but he'll play a 10-minute game or a seven-minute game. And sometimes I only have 10 minutes. I'm like, I have 10 minutes, right? Let's play that game. I also have, as a long story, we have a pinball machine in our basement from the 1970s, which got handed down, handed down. And that's all in like, movie mechanical parts. That's a lot of fun. We play that occasionally, too. What time do I have? I'm probably out of time. So uh, I turn it over to you, Pastor Clemmer, probably? Yes. Okay, very good. Let's thank Pastor Connor, please.